Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. Habits are there to support you, full stop. And if you need more supportive habits in your life, check out the Sticky Habit Method. It's my method to help real women form real habits that stick. You can find it at aboutprogress.com slash sticky habit method. You might have heard me share before that I am a former middle school teacher. I only taught for three years, but I can promise you that I could write a whole book on what those three years contained, both personally and professionally, with tons of anecdotes that will have you laughing and crying sometimes at the same time. My first year was definitely the hardest. I was at a pretty rough school. It was an urban suburban community, and Parts of that I really, really loved. But what was hard for me was that I had 30 to 35 students in every class. I taught seven periods out of the eight periods the the day had. And six of those uh, class periods were completely different classes. For those of you who are not familiar with the teaching lingo, that meant I had six preps, which is basically unheard of. Imagine teaching and having to prepare every single day, seventh grade English, seventh grade history, seventh grade reading was was kind of like a literature class solely by itself. Then eighth grade English, eighth grade history, and eighth grade reading. And only one of those preps repeated. So that meant for me, between breaking up fights with my kids, which happened a lot, getting candy stolen by even the good kids from my prize closet, I'll never forget that sad moment, and simply trying to learn what it meant to be an authority figure for all these kids when I'm a 22-year-old brand new teacher who doesn't even know how to discipline, I had to do six preps every single day as soon as that really long, really heavy day ended. Each day at 3.30, the bell would ring, all the kids would pile out of my classroom, and I'd close my classroom door and take a deep breath of the very stale and undeodorized air from my classroom, fall into my computer chair and proceed to read blogs for like an hour and then sometimes two or more. I knew I had so much I needed to get done. I wasn't dumb. I was very aware of the sheer weight that entailed, the sheer time it entailed, and the sheer responsibility that I had to these kids to show up well for them. And I would honestly say now, because of all that pressure, I would sit down and find myself incapable of following through with what I knew I needed to do. And I hated it. I hated how I could just somehow, without even intending to, get sucked into doing something that while was helpful in, to some extent, like giving myself a little break, a little time to myself, when taken too far, and again, so unintentionally, it was harmful. It was harmful to my stress level. It didn't alleviate it. It made it worse. It was harmful to my own sense of capacity that I had to show up as the teacher these kids needed. And it was also harmful with even my sleep because I eventually did have to get all that stuff done and I did, but not without a lot of late nights, early mornings, and a few nervous breakdowns in between. 
Me reading blogs is not immorally bad. It wasn't then, it isn't now. But it wasn't helpful because it was something I call a numbing behavior. I'm going to define that in a moment for you, but let me just start by saying numbing behaviors are part of all of our lives and they affect us all to some extent. But a numbing behavior doesn't have to be become this uncontrollable cycle that fills our days and ourselves with dread and despair at worst and just unproductivity at best. If you want to work on how bad your numbing behaviors have gotten, how often they're happening, how unintentionally they're happening, how intensely they're happening, and to the detriment of other things in your life, that's what I'm going to help you with today. You are going to learn what a numbing behavior is, why it happens, how it works, and then what you can do about it. Let's start with defining numbing behavior. My definition for this is really similar to my definition for bad habits. And there is definitely crossover here. So that's why I'm going to share that at the forefront. But let me define it for you. A numbing behavior is any avoidant behavior we unintentionally engage in that interferes with our values, our priorities, and our intentions. Numbing behaviors can be confusing in some ways because even just with this definition, a lot of times we know numbing behaviors as bad habits, whether they're scrolling our phone or procrastinating. But numbing behaviors can be confusing because they might not typically be those bad habits you can bring right up in your mind. Numbing behaviors can include things that are more productive apparently, like organizing a closet or doing home projects or answering tons of emails. So this is why you need to know the definition of a numbing behavior, because it's any avoidant behavior that we are unintentionally engaging in. So a behavior that makes you avoid. And the reason why these behaviors are bad is not because they're inherently bad, just like I've talked about with bad habits. These behaviors are bad because of the effect, because of how they interfere with our values, our priorities, and our intentions. We've defined what a numbing behavior is. Now let's just, let's uh, talk about why they happen. I shared in the definition that numbing behaviors are avoidant behaviors. So that's basically why they're happening. We are avoiding something. A lot of times we think it's because we're avoiding an action. Like if we're procrastinating, we think I'm avoiding taking on that particular and specific task. But I want you to think deeper. There are deeper reasons behind why we are avoiding tasks, and it's not the tasks themselves. It's the feelings we are associating with the task or the feelings we're associating with not just the task, but maybe an event that we have to go to or a particular thing that happens often, um, something like that. One more piece of this puzzle. Not only are our um, numbing behaviors our attempt to avoid bad feelings, When we find ourselves getting into the cycle of engaging in numbing behavior often, and I would say chronically and almost uncontrollably, that is a big red flag, not that you're a bad person, but that you are severely under-supported in your life, both internally, like supporting yourself, and externally with your circumstances. I want to give you that grace here, because 
numbing behaviors are pretty loaded in shame. And it's really easy to spiral down in that shame, but that spiral only exacerbates those numbing behaviors more. So you want to really just acknowledge that you are avoiding some bad feelings and that if it's happening pretty chronically, you are being undersupported. The next thing I want you to do is now that you know better what numbing behaviors are and why they happen, you need to identify what numbing behaviors look like for you. When I go way back to my childhood, I can see ways that I used to try to avoid other things in my life. So in the old days, my numbing behaviors think like things like uh, drawing late into the night. Like I would, I have these weird self portraits that I drew of myself late at night while looking in a mirror, um, reading old journals and reading other things. Um, also like playing this video game on my parents' computer. Cause we didn't actually have video games, but we had some games on our computers. One of them was this checks game. Like it literally came from the checks cereal box and my whole family, like all my sisters became obsessed with it, but I found myself playing that a lot as an avoidant behavior. Another funny one is watching Jerry Springer after school, which was definitely not allowed. So those are some of my childhood numbing behaviors. Uh, Later on, as a young adult, reading blogs was one of my numbing behaviors. Online shopping became an, an avoidant behavior for me. And I shared about that in April on when I was sharing an episode all about bad habits. You can go back and listen to that one. Nowadays, I still have numbing behaviors. They include things like scrolling my phone, emotionally eating, walking in circles around my house, doing things at 10% completion, when really that's just a false productivity of me just trying to avoid something else that I don't want to do because of the feelings I'm attaching to that thing. Take just a quick moment for yourself and think about what does numbing behavior look like for me? I've heard a ton of answers to that question when I've posed that to my clients. And oftentimes they come to me wanting to work on some. The most common is phone use. And I just want to add here as a quick caveat, it can be so shame driven too, our our feelings of phone scrolling. Um, But just so you know, the reason why so many of us are so easily drawn into that numbing behavior in particular is because scrolling a phone requires so little energy. And when you're trying to numb, you're going to do the easiest way of numbing that behavior because that's seemingly the most effective. So what are your numbing behaviors? Of the things I shared, I'm sure you can identify a few for yourself and just choose one of those that you want to have in mind as we work through the rest of this episode. Lastly, before we go on to what to do with these numbing behaviors, we need to talk about how they work. We've defined them. We've shared why we've shared what they are for you. Now let's talk about how they in quotes work. Numbing behaviors are effective for some reason. Um, It's our brain and our body's way of trying to cope with the bad emotions that we want to avoid. It's our poor attempt to try to numb. And when I have talked to my clients about this, I next talk about how they feel when they engage in those numbing behaviors. So they have one in mind, they know what they want to work on, whether it's scrolling a phone or online shopping or emotional eating or organizing. And I say, okay, now tell me, how do you feel when you're engaging in this numbing behavior? 
The answers to this are wide and varied, but here are the most common. Monica, I feel guilty. I feel lost, dumb, ashamed, frustrated, silly, incapable, unreliable, childish. How do numbing behaviors make you feel? When you're engaging in that behavior I just asked you to narrow it down to, what emotions and feelings come up for you in that process? I know when I'm scrolling my phone, I slowly feel like insecure and dumb and annoyed with myself. How do you feel? Here's the kicker. We're engaging in these numbing behaviors in our pursuit to numb the bad emotions we don't want to feel. But in my years of asking that question to my clients, like, how do you feel when you're engaging in numbing behavior? Guess what? Not one single person has said in response. Numb. Not one person has said that their numbing behavior makes them feel numb. How do they work? Well, not well. When you're engaging in numbing behaviors, you're actually replacing one bad feeling with another. One of the common phrases we say in this community is that when we know better, we can do better. And that means we can do things differently. So right now we're in the knowledge piece. We're understanding this behavior better. And part of what I want you to embrace is this fact. Numbing behaviors are working, but not very well. They're actually making you feel other bad feelings instead. So they're not helpful and we want to tap down on them. So what should we do? Next up, I'm going to teach you the ends of numbing behavior. There are three of them. They all start with N. And as you learn to follow the ends of numbing behavior, you'll not only be able to better control how often and how uh, intensely these behaviors go on, you'll be able to, with time, kick them to the curb. That's coming right up after the break. One of the reasons why numbing behaviors feel so bad is because they are in direct conflict with our values. If you don't know what yours are, like if you can't name them, that's okay. It's actually weirdly complicated to name those values for yourself. To help, I have a free resource for you. It's called the Ultimate Values Exercise. It will help you step-by-step be able to recognize and name your values for yourself. You can get it for free at aboutprogress.com values. Again, that's aboutprogress.com values. It's time to review the ends of numbing behaviors. I'm just going to do a quick overview. I'm going to break it down for you. And then I'll show you how I applied this to a client that I worked with. The three ends of numbing behaviors are one, notice, two, name, and three, next. Let's do the breakdown. When you engage in numbing behavior, the first step is to notice the behavior. This means that in the moment, you need to call it out for what it is. This literally looks like you saying to yourself, this is a numbing behavior. I'm going to give three short examples. When I've had a client that scrolls their phone, when they notice themselves doing it in the moment, they said to themselves, this is a numbing behavior. 
I've had a client who gets caught in the trap of cleaning and organizing. And her first step in being able to tap down on it was to simply say to herself, I am trying to numb out. A third quick example here, another client who would get into the into the loop of being on Marco Polo a lot. She would stop in the moment and say to herself, I am numbing. When you notice the behavior and you call it out for what it is, you're giving yourself a little bit of time and space to recognize what you're doing. Numbing behaviors are often so bad, not just because of the other piece of the puzzle I talked about, about it interfering with your values, priorities, intentions, but also because we notice we're doing them until they've gone on too long or uh, too intensely in ways that are harming in the bigger picture ways. So just calling it out for what it is is really important. And the other piece to that is because it gives you a little bit of a space to then insert the, the, the next two ends I have for you. This is something I call the response gap. It is the space between stimulus and response. And I have a whole episode on that that I did a little while back that I will make sure I link in the show notes for you. So we're just trying to give yourself a little bit more of a response gap. So again, the first N is to notice, call out the behavior for what it is. The next N is to name. Now, what you are going to do is try to pinpoint what feelings you are attempting to avoid with this numbing behavior. Because again, it's not about the tasks you're avoiding. It's about the feelings you've associated with that task. It's not about the person. It's not about the place. It's not about the thing. It's that the feelings you are associating with those things. Let's go back to some of the examples I gave to you in the first one. For my client that liked to scroll often, she would first say, this is a numbing behavior. I'm engaging in this to avoid the overwhelm I'm pairing with my to-dos for the day. For that cleaning client, I am trying to numb out because I'm feeling lonely. For my Marco Polo client, I am numbing to try to get away from how both incapable and resentful I feel while making dinner for my family again. When you name the feelings you're trying to avoid, it removes some of the shame from the numbing behavior itself. Shame only perpetuates numbing behavior. I promise you. So when you call it out, you're giving yourself more of that response gap to then name what's really going on. And that alone is powerful. Notice, name. The third and final N of numbing behavior is next. This is where you choose what's next. You've lengthened that response gap a bit. You've identified what's really going on. And now that you have both of those in hand, this is when you get to choose what's next. You might have heard me say the word unintentional a lot when I've been talking about numbing behaviors. That to me is one of the biggest reasons why numbing behaviors don't feel good is because it's happening so unintentionally. And because of that, we need to get into the mind and the body of making choices, okay? Doing things intentionally. The eventual goal for the next portion of this is that you choose a more supportive behavior. So instead of the numbing behavior, you're going to have more supportive behaviors that help you better cope with the feelings that you were trying to avoid in the first place. Things like taking a deep breath, going for a walk, calling a friend, reading a poem that helps you calm down, 
anything like that, that helps you better cope with those feelings. Here's the real kicker though. In the beginning, as you are learning to follow the ends of numbing behavior, when you get to this third step, what's next, and you are making a choice and intentionally choosing a choice, guess what one of the choices has to be? That you are allowed to continue in that numbing behavior. I'm sure you're going to be surprised to hear me say that because didn't I already expound on how damaging the numbing behavior is to the things that matter most to us? Yes. But when you intentionally choose a behavior, two big things happen. First is that the shame that really perpetuates numbing behavior, when that same behavior is chosen, the shame dissipates a bit which also means that behavior kind of loses its hold over you as much as it used to have. It means you don't go down that shame spiral as easily. So most oftentimes, even when women choose to move forward with the same numbing behavior, but they're intentionally choosing it, it will feel different. They will need to do less of it, and they'll be able to have more control over stopping it when they're done. Let's go to one of the three examples we shared with the other two uh, stops along the way, the scrolling numbing behavior. When you've noticed I'm numbing out through scrolling and then you've named the feeling, I'm avoiding the resentfulness I feel with this activity that I'm avoiding. Next, you choose what you're gonna do from there. And if you say, I really do need a break, so I'm going to give myself 10 more minutes to keep scrolling then that is a-okay. The second part of why intentionally choosing even the same behavior is a good thing is just brain science. You will be very unwilling to do the first N of the ends of numbing behavior, notice, if you believe that in noticing the numbing behavior, you have to stop it. So if you want to get better at noticing the behavior and eventually stopping it more over time, that means you have to give your brain permission to continue in the numbing behavior. You will therefore be more inclined to even start with that first step and move through all three because your brain believes you that you won't have to stop what is trying to help you cope with some hard feelings. This takes time to learn. And it's okay if it doesn't go perfectly in the beginning. In fact, as you're learning to follow the ends of numbing behavior, I'd advise you only start with noticing. Then with a little bit of time, you can add in naming and then what's next. And then with even more time, you will gradually do less of the numbing behavior naturally, and you'll be able to feel more capable of choosing supportive behaviors instead. This is where supportive habits come into play, my friends. If you just keep falling for these numbing behaviors and you get caught in those cycles, and even if following the ends of numbing behavior over time doesn't work for you, again, go back to that giant red flag. This means you are incredibly under-supported, both internally and externally. And that's where my sticky habit method comes into play with the internal support and half of the external support. When you're able to better support yourself through supportive habits, that will preempt the need for these numbing behaviors.
Before I leave you, I want to give you some hope by sharing about a client who I helped do this all with. And I will say I've honestly done this with every single client I've ever worked with because every single client I've ever worked with has had at least one numbing behavior she wanted to work on. In this case, I'm going to talk about a client who was struggling with emotional eating. Now, as someone who has a history of eating disorders, meaning me, I am going to be very transparent in that I know my boundaries as a coach. I'm not a therapist. I'm not an eating disorder therapist for sure or counselor, and I don't coach women on eating disorders. When I've had clients who have tendencies towards those things, I advise them to get professional counseling. Now, why this client was different was because her emotional eating was purely a numbing behavior problem and not disordered eating or eating disorder behavior. And how we knew that was because it was very tied to specific circumstances. For her, she found she was engaging in the numbing behavior of emotional eating around her family getting together in her home, usually most Sundays. So on these Sundays, before, during, and after her family's arrival in her home, this client would find herself gravitating to the pantry and munching away her feelings. And this was confusing to her because she didn't find herself doing this behavior other days and other times. But there was something about that event that propelled her into this very particular numbing behavior. So we dug into it more and she was able to connect that in the numbing behavior. She was trying to avoid feeling some emotional weight she typically carries when her children and grandchildren are over. Now, as much as she loves and adores them and wants them over, she found that she feels this emotional weight of being responsible for their feelings. Basically, she's carrying the weight of every person's happiness on her shoulders. And emotional eating was a way for her to try to numb that weight. And yeah, it wasn't very effective and it didn't make her feel very good. And it actually helped her feel, not helped, it made her feel less present when she was around the very people that she cared the most about. So initially, I just taught this client about the ends of numbing behavior. And over the course of working together for four months, she initially started with just noticing the behavior, then gradually naming the feelings, and then with time choosing what was next. By the way, we worked together for four months, not just because of this numbing behavior. There were many other things we worked on. This was just one piece of the puzzle we worked on together. But by the end of those four months, let me tell you where she's at. Initially, she still found herself emotionally eating on those Sundays. But because she knew better how that behavior was trying to help her, however ineptly it was, she carried less fear and shame around the behavior, which meant there tend to be less of it, or she was able to make it less of an intense thing. Gradually, she was able to then choose more supportive behaviors to help her process the emotional weight we identified for her. And now, Those events that she has don't create nearly as much of a numbing spiral as they did in the past. She still sometimes finds herself in the pantry um, before, during, and after her family coming over, but again, not as often and not at the same intensity. She feels more internally supported, and she also feels like she's able to choose better how she wants to even engage in that behavior. One last final thought for you. When we work on numbing behaviors, we are playing the long game. I wish it were different. I really do. 
Even me, like my numbing behaviors, I would love if they could just disappear overnight. But when we play the long game, we're playing the right game, the kind that will create lasting change over time. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of change I'll take on any day of the week. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. And I'm now going to share the progress pointers from this episode. These are the notes I took so you don't have to. And those on my Go Get Our newsletter get them in a graphic form each week. You can get that newsletter by going to aboutprogress.com newsletter. Number one, numbing behaviors are any avoidant behaviors we unintentionally engage in that interfere with our values, our priorities, and our intentions. They include bad habits, but also some that might not appear to be bad, but are bad for us. Number two, when you find yourself engaging in more numbing behaviors, that's a giant flag that you are being undersupported in your life. Number three, numbing behaviors don't actually numb you out. They simply replace some bad feelings with others. Number four, instead, take on the uns of numbing behavior. A, notice the numbing behavior. B, name, name the feelings you're attempting to avoid through that behavior. And C, next, choose what's next. Your do something challenge for this week is to start with just noticing. Go back to us training our brains and all you have to do is say, this is a numbing behavior. You don't have to change the behavior. You don't have to name the feelings yet, just notice. It might take just a few days for you to get into that pattern of lengthening that response gap between stimulus and response and just being able to notice the behavior. But when you're ready, again, might be a few days, might be a few weeks, then you'll be able to add that next step of name and then eventually next, what's next. If you do that, do something challenge, I would love to hear about it. You can DM me, you can email me, and you can share on social media and tag me. And I try to pull from those shares and do a progressor spotlight in our growth spurt episodes. So again, I love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. Of anecdotes in anecdotes, anecdotes, anecdotes. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.